Is that better? Well, good morning, everybody. Morning, morning, morning. Hope you guys are morning. Yeah, a lot of energy over there. Morning. If you're joining us online, uh, good morning to you. And most importantly, good morning to the Skinner family in Fairfield. Woo! Skinners are back in Fairfield and uh, excited. Um, it was, uh, it was, it's exciting. It's all good stuff. Um, why don't we all stand up together as we sing. Yep. Hey, Jim. He cut the house music. I can sing with it, but... 
Why search the world? But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. When you came along and put me back together. Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Sing, there's nothing, oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Sing it out, there's nothing. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Sing, there's nothing. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You turn morning. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn morning. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn You turn bones into armies. You turn skis into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. 
Amen. That song is, uh, it wears me out, but that song is, uh, it's got a lot in it, and every time I finish singing it, I have to talk for a second in order to get to the next song. Whew. You guys doing all right this morning? Yeah? You excited for the heat wave this weekend? Woo! So, um, on the way here, we were looking at the weather and realized... You guys are going to get the 90s, but in Woodland, where it's going to be 108. So I might come visit on Monday. <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep singing. Christ alone. Christ alone. Cornerstone. Weak made strong. In the Savior's love. Through the
shall come. When he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone. For less I stand before the throne. Christ alone. Christ alone. to go ahead and just have a seat for a moment. Uh, I have a good friend of mine who struggled with addiction for many, many years, uh, but has been gloriously saved, and God has really changed his life in beautiful and wonderful ways. But one time we were talking, uh, we were talking several years ago, and one of the things my buddy said to me, is, he said, Gary, you quit drugs while it was still fun, which is kind of true. It's, it's kind of true. Uh, but the truth is, my drug use came from a place of great pain. And usually for any of us who've ever struggled with an addiction or any kind of compulsive behavior, it usually comes from, a lot of times for us, from a place of great pain. That what we're trying to do is we're trying to numb the, the pain we feel in our souls, our hearts. And the reason I bring this up is because if you've ever struggled with an addiction or if you have a close friend who's ever struggled with addiction, you will have a better appreciation of the cross. The cross represents two things that we sometimes think um, they just don't go together, and yet they do. Because see, the cross, and I only want you to see one thing right now in this moment, is I want you to see the cross of Jesus. But I want you to see it in a fresh way. And for anybody who's come out of AA or any kind of 12-step program, you understand... Um, you understand what it means to have wrath and you understand what it means to have love or if you have a loved one who's gone through this you understand these things because because what what we do when we really love a person is we hate sometimes what addictions and compulsive behavior can do to a loved one you understand what i'm saying here we don't hate our loved one we love them dearly and we feel great pain at their struggle but we also feel this, this wrath or this holy anger towards what their addiction is doing to them. 
And the reason I bring this up is because what I want you to see in Jesus and what I want you to see in, in the triune person of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that what the cross represents is it represents God's wrath towards sin. That when you look at the cross, you should see wrath. Because there's wrath all over the cross. There is brutality. There is immense suffering. Not just the physical suffering. But God's wrath towards sin. God's wrath towards sin because of God's love for sinners. God, he, he, he abhors what sin does to us. He abhors what sin has done to me. How it shaped and formed my character in different ways in my life. But God has never given up. He's never, never. He's never given up on loving me. And he's never and never will give up on loving you. And so in just a moment, we're going to take communion here. And uh, and what... What I want you to see and what I want you to reflect on as you take communion today is I want you to see God's wrath towards sin, but I want you to see God's love for you. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate. So what we're going to do at this time for all who would like to participate in communion, uh, those on this side of the auditorium can come forward over here. And Sandy will give you a little uh, cup, and on top of the cup, there's a little wafer that's packaged on top of that. She has a glove, uh, so she'll be the only person touching it uh, when she gives it to you. Steve's going to be doing the same thing for those of you on this side who want to participate in communion. And what I'm going to ask you to do for those who want to do this is come up and and pick up the, the cup and, and the wafer that goes with it and return to your seats and after just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. But while we're coming up, uh, I'm going to ask the worship team uh, to lead us in a song as, as you are coming forward to do that. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us We bow. We bow our hearts. We bend our knees. Will Spirit come make us humble? We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean. Give us clean hands. Give us your hearts. Let us know. 
let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God of Jacob. All right. So at this time, um, what I'm going to encourage you to do, those of you who want to take communion, is to take the little wafer out of the top part of the little cup. And what Jesus did on the night of his betrayal as he took bread and took the cup with his disciples, Jesus held up the bread and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, you are great and you are awesome. God, you are holy in your wrath towards sin, but you are also holy in your love for sinners, people like me and people like all of us. And we are so grateful. We are so grateful for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Uh, We are so grateful, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross for us. We thank you, God, for purchasing our salvation and giving us hope. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Give us clean hands. Give us your hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, O God. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. O God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God. Seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks. Seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks. Seeks your face, oh God. Jacob. Oh, God of Jacob. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. God, we thank you that we can come and sing and come and celebrate you. God, we love you. We probably sing your name. Amen. Hello, good morning, good morning. Welcome to SBC. We're so excited to have you here. I see a lot of new faces, and you are welcome in this place. So today, um, 
one of the things that we believe here at SVC is that the measure of a disciple of Jesus is that they're growing in their love for one another and they're growing in their love for God. So during these times where, you know, we're just coming out of social distancing and, um, you know, we're getting together again, we want you to know that we have a, a variety of small groups that are, that are going that are a perfect place for you to come slowly back to church and get involved in. Now, where we know that the Bible says that we thrive on community and to stay connected to the church. And, you know, we're like a, all the branches of a tree, right? And we saw this yesterday when we had Pastor Matt finally come home. There was a group of about 50 people that went to his house and just cheered, and they were so excited, and they held up signs, and they were, you know, just thrilled to, to see him back home. And that's what this church is about, I promise you. We are there for every single one of you just like we were there for Matt. And so we want to encourage you to join a small group to get involved like that because if you ever need us, we're going to be here for you. Oh, sorry, I have a little helper today. Um, on June 6th, next week at 6.30, we're going to be having our revival prayer. And I want to remind you to come. Prayer is absolutely essential to our mission as a church and it's essential in the revival of the church, the nation, and our community. And it's just a wonderful time for us to get together. We agree with each other in prayer. We pray for each other. And it's a, just a beautiful time of worship and prayer. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to be a prayer warrior. You don't have to even have any prayer Bible knowledge. We just want you to come, to sit, to listen, and to hear um, God in your heart. So next Sunday, June 6th at 630 all right, right now we have the honor and the privilege of worshiping God with our tithes and offerings. And we want to thank all of you who have given so generously during this past year. And we know that giving is an act of worship because through it we seek to invite people to follow Jesus and become more like him. So there are four ways to give to the church. You can give online at solanovalley.org backslash giving. You can tap give on the SVC phone app. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. Or you can text GIVE to 707-883-3019. And if you're here in the building, you can put your offering in the little silver slot right back next to the office. So thank you so much for your generosity. So I have a question for you, Iris. I have a question for everyone. <laughs> Have you ever been afraid? Yeah. Tell me about a time you were afraid. Um, when I was a baby, when, when my mommy turned out the lights, I had terrible nightmares and monsters were eating me in my nightmares. Yeah. So we've all had a terrible experience with the dark, right? We've all been afraid of the dark at one time. So no matter how big you are or tall you are or anything, we all suffer from fear. And at some point, we're all going to encounter a person, an animal, a situation that's going to make us afraid, right? Yes. All right. So since we're talking about fear, I want to play a little game with everybody. This is called Name That Fear. All right? So I'm going to give you a scientific name for the fear, and then you guess what it is. All right? Let's practice. Okay. So what is arachnophobia? All right. See, everybody knows that one. All right. Let's play. What is calorophobia? The fear of clowns, bright colors, or people with long hair? Oh, you guys knew that one. What about ablutophobia? The fear of brushing your teeth, washing or bathing, or things that are blue? 
washing or bathing. What about omphaliophobia? Belly buttons, other people's feet, or oompa loompas? Oh, how did you know that? A belly button. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stump you. What about this one? Hi, poo, pa, tu, ma, stronsi, squipped, aliophobia. <laughs> really, really long words. Being attacked by a wild animal or a monster hippopotamus. Um, long, long words. How did you know that? It's almost like we practice this at home. <laughs> yes, long, long words. Well, hearing all those those phobias, man, that's got me a little bit scared. I didn't even know that there were so many things that we could be afraid of. Did you? Well, I want to tell you about a time um, where, listen, I want to tell you about a time that I was scared. And we're going to look, stop, we're going to look at God's promises to never leave us or forsake us, okay? Do you know what the word forsake means? Jesus is always... Jesus is always on your back. Yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, forsake means to never leave, to never desert, to abandon, depart, or withdraw from. So God promised that to his children in the Bible, and he promises that to us today. That we can face whatever we are faced with with confidence that God is with us. So I want to tell you a story about a time when I was afraid. Okay, so when I was little, about first grade, I think I was about six years old, we had just moved to a new town, and I had to ride the bus to school every day. Okay, so every day I would go to the bus stop, and it was like full of big kids, like junior high kids, and they would pick on me, and they would like do jokes, and they would kind of, yeah, make faces like that. They would do all kinds of stuff, and I was scared to death. I used to get a tummy ache just thinking about going to... um <laughs> going to the to the bus stop every morning yeah and so I told my mom mom I don't want to go to school anymore I'm so scared I'm so scared and she said listen tomorrow you're going to walk up to those bullies and you're going to say with strength and and being full of courage you're not going to mess with me anymore you're not going to bully me anymore and so the next morning I was super scared still So I walked up to those bullies, and they were all there. They were waiting for me. And they started in immediately making fun of me and bullying me. And with all of my courage, not yet, and with all my courage, I stood up to them, and I said, leave me alone. And their eyes got huge, and they took a huge step back, and they were like, okay, 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 we're going to leave you alone. And I thought, I did it. I did it. Well, what I didn't know was that my mom had followed me down to the bus stop, and she was standing behind me. And when those kids saw my backup, they were like, okay, okay, we're done messing with you, right? And I did not know that my mom was behind me, but I had all this strength and courage because I knew that she had promised me that they were going to leave me alone if I stood up to them. Well, God first made this promise to the Israelites after he delivered them from slavery from Egypt. And as the people faced enemies that stood between them and God's promise, he told them in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. So as Joshua led the Israelites towards the city of Jericho, this city was heavily defended 
The Bible said it had walls 12 feet thick, that chariots raced on top of the walls. And God told the Israelites, you're going to take this city. And so he told them to go. And he gave them some weird directions. God gives us weird directions sometimes. He said, march once around the city for six days. Just march around the city. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, blow the trumpets and yell as loud as you can. And the walls of the city are going to fall down flat. And you're going to take the city. So now it was Joshua's time. He had to do it, right? All these people were counting on him. So he went out, marched around six days. On the seventh day, they marched around. On the seventh time, they blew the trumpets and they yelled as loud as they could. And do you know what happened? What happened? Um, the walls fell down. Yes, the walls fell down flat. And they went in and they took the city. So God, re- Joshua received special instructions from the Lord and he did what he said. So that's today's bottom line. Let's say it together. God will never leave us or forsake us. God will never leave us and forsake us. Yes, God will never leave us and forsake us. Even when we face fears and challenges, we can be courageous because we know that God is always with us. Listen, he gives us that promise. You know, next year you guys are going to start a new school year. God's going to be with you. When stuff goes happens in your family, it's not going all good. God is with you. When you mess up and you face the consequences of a bad decision, God is with you. He's always got your back. So it's kind of like if you hold this mirror up, right? Hold this mirror up. Okay. Can you see mommy behind you? That's because mommy's always got your back. So even if you can't see me in front of you, I always have your back, right? Just like your mom. Just like my mom. And that's true with God. Even though sometimes we feel like we can't see what's going on, God has always got our backs, no matter what. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid of them. He goes with you, and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. All right? Good job. Amen. Good morning. Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see anybody right now. Uh, man. Um, yeah, uh, it's good to worship together uh, and not with my television. Um, man, all, it's so many good things right now. Um, man, that was so good. Thank you, Iris. I think I should... Every, yeah, we should definitely do. Man, I think everywhere I go and speak from now on, I need to bring Jason with me and just hold his hand and speak and let Jason jump around and make facial expressions while I talk. I think we're on to something. Uh, man, I am so glad to be here. Um, in case everybody is, in case we're new faces, my name is PC Walker. Um, uh, this is kind of like, uh, my Fairfield home, um, if we can call it that. Um, it's been a long time since we've been here, since I've been here. Uh, but, uh, it's always, it always feels like home coming back here. And so I 
and I'm glad to be back here uh, with you all today, uh, continuing on in the series that Gary uh, has begun as far as uh, what's the main topic of the series? Family? Building Stronger Homes. Building stronger homes. Great. All right. Uh, Gary went away for their anniversary this weekend and said, could you just come and speak uh, and continue on in the series? And I was like, yeah, building stronger homes, that sounds great. What do you want me to talk about? And uh, he said, I would like you to talk about singleness. So <laughs> so I haven't been here in more than a, in longer than a year. And uh, the first time I get to come back, he's like, could you just go ahead and take on singleness uh, with the church? I'm going to go away for my anniversary. You come and talk about singleness. So uh, so I'm here today to continue on in the series, talking a little bit about singleness. Uh, For those of you guys who are wondering where my family is, I told them to stay home because I'm talking about singleness. So uh, actually, my Wife and my kids are down in Bakersfield, which is where my in-laws are. Otherwise, there'd be no reason to go to Bakersfield. But the, my in-laws are down there. And, uh, and so they went away for the weekend. My sister-in-law's birthday was yesterday. And then obviously it's being Memorial Day weekend. Took my wife and my kids went down to Bakersfield. That was already on the plan. Uh, but uh, don't tell my kids or my wife, or my wife already knows, but don't tell my kids, but my mom is here. Uh, came to visit from Wisconsin, just flew in last night. Uh, first time since before the pandemic that mom's been out. So, uh, yeah. Super excited. Um, my kids are going to be thrilled when they show up tomorrow and see gra- grandma's here. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, so it's just exciting. A lot of really fun things um, to, to talk about. Uh, also, before I get started about singleness, um, Thursday, I got a text from Gary just to remind me that uh, today is Sunday, that <laughs> today is family Sunday. <laughs> so I had to text back and be like, so, so what you're saying, Gary, <laughs> is that you want me to come and talk about singleness on family Sunday? Say, so, yeah, I, yeah, that's kind of it. So... Uh, so here we are today. That's what we're going to jump into together um, on Family Sunday. We're going to talk about singleness. Uh, but before I do, uh, I'm gonna, I want to kind of give an idea of uh, what we're going to address. Um, because I know when you start that topic, having worked with college students and young adults for a long time, uh, just mentioning that uh, starts to put some people's like walls up. Uh, I just want to talk about some myths that we have uh, that that we have around singleness. Um, there are a dizzying amount of myths that we believe and that we have around singleness, and particularly uh, those myths are, mar- are are myths that we have that married people have and single people have about what it is to be single. Uh, particularly what it means to be a Christian who is also single. And so I want to address a lot of those myths today in order that we might love one another better in our church community. Does that make sense? 
My goal is that by us addressing the myths that a lot of us have come to believe, whether we're married or single, we have believed certain myths about being single, especially in the church. And I want to address those myths so that going out from here, we can love one another better and, and well in our church community. So let me pray and then we'll just jump in. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be together. Uh, I have prayed that so many times in the past, but it means something very particular now. May I thank you, God, for the opportunity to come together. It is a gift for us to be together, to come back together and remind each other once again that everything we know about the gospel, everything we know about who you are, It's all still true. Even a year and a half later, it's all still true. And we come together to remind ourselves and to remind one another that everything we know about you, everything we know about the gospel, it's all still true. So we praise you for who you are, and we give you praise, we give you honor, and we give you glory forever. We ask that something speaks to us today, each of us, something that we didn't know that we needed to hear, but we walk away from here closer to you than we were before we came. Otherwise, we've wasted our morning. Let us come closer to you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So even beginning with a basic definition of single reveals the first initial myth that a lot of us have come to believe that we commonly hold within ourselves. Even the word single, defined by the basic things of like the dictionary, says that single means consisting of a separate, unique whole. Whole, W-H-O-L-E. There's suggested in that basic definition that that something or someone who is single is actually an undivided whole. And that not only are you an undivided whole, but single by definition is not incomplete. And it is not divided, but it is whole. And that's just the definition from the dictionary. Now, when we look at Scripture, we begin to unpack some different phrases that are used for singleness. And particularly in the New Testament, the Greek word that is used most commonly is agamos. And it basically just means to be unmarried or to be unwedded. Now, this is a term that it's, if it's going to be used more frequently throughout the New Testament, then we've got to take a look at it very specifically and have a better understanding to discover a biblical understanding of what it means to be single and in doing so, we reveal and then debunk different myths that we have come to believe attached to it. The word is used several times in, second, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and that's where I'm going to read a little bit from today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's used most often as a reference to the unmarried or those who remain unmarried. So if you have Bibles with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I am going to read... Uh, the whole the whole chapter has to do with marriage, and then there are sprinkled throughout it points about being single. So I want to start in verse eight, 
And I just want to read a few verses that it, that it kicks off. And this is where it uses that a word, that word agamos, which is, means to be unmarried. So in verse 8, it says, To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. This is Paul speaking. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else she would be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, we keep going. In verse 11, actually closes us off in this passage. Verse 11 says, oh, we already just read verse 11. Now, generally, we search. We search through all, all of Scripture, and we find three categories of singleness that are addressed or referenced in that, uh, throughout Scripture. It's First of all, it's those who choose to be married or choose to, to never marry. They stay single because they choose to stay single. Those who are single for now, so this is the season of singleness that I'm in right now, uh, to the expectation that maybe later I will be single and I will be married one day. And then there's those who are single Again, so single after a separation, after a divorce, or after uh, a death of a spouse. Now, without unpacking each one of those and spending so much time on each of those categories, allow me to just paint one verse for all of them over it. Verse uh, In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I want to paint that verse over all of it. So regardless of if you're a single in this room, or if you know somebody who's close to you who is single, and for whatever category you find yourself in for being single, allow me to tell you that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. It does not matter which category of singleness you find yourself in. It doesn't matter what category of singleness your close loved ones find themselves in. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, it doesn't always feel like that. So let's be clear. It doesn't always feel like that is being worked out for the good when I'm walking in a single space. Particularly as lovers of God who are in this church, walking with college students and young adults for now more than two decades has revealed a number of things that singles face and walk through. And I want to highlight some of those myths that commonly face those who are single, particularly those who find themselves single, but also as a part of the church. One of the first myths is the myth of having of never married. Now, the phrase that commonly gets said, whether it's verbally or just into ourselves, In those spaces, the myth of never being married basically says God's best is marriage. Singleness is second best. Now, we might not say any of these myths overtly and say it to your face. But there are a lot of people who know what this feels like to be told this and to act like it is the case. Now, to debunk a myth, we have to look at the truth. First Corinthians, jumping down in that same that same chapter, if we jump down to verse, let's go to let's go to 32. Verse 32 says, "I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man he's anxious about worldly things." Hmm. 
how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or unbetrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the, uh, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Over and over again in Scripture, there is this idea that singleness is the actually preferred state that allows someone to be completely devoted to the life that God has called them to. I was just, uh, I was just chatting back and forth with a college friend of mine. Uh, we've been using this, this app, Marco Polo. You guys have probably heard of this app. I have come and gone with Marco Polo. Uh, I'll sign up for it and then, like, won't use it, so I'll delete it. And then I'll have like a close friend that's like, hey, well, I'm using Marco Polo a lot. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll download the Marco Polo so I could keep chatting with them. And then they chat all the time, like where it was like, could we have just called? And then so then I delete the app because I'm sick of seeing popped up, like popping up all the time. And then I have this other really good who's like one of my closest friends in college uh, uh, reconnected with me a couple months ago and said, hey, I'm actually using Marco Polo. I was like, all right. One more time, I'm going to try this. And so he and I have been chatting back and forth with Marco Polo, and uh, he was just talking. We've been we've been having these really good conversations about about faith and about what it looks like to live uh, the life of faith and be closer to Jesus right now. And one of the things that he mentioned, he's like, he's like, it's funny, you know, we we use this phrase a lot in the church where we've always said, you know, like Jesus, like knew knows everything that you've gone through. He, you know, because he came to earth as a man, he, he, he lived through everything that you go through. So Jesus knows everything that you've gone through. And he, my friend was like, now wait a minute. This, you're telling me that single guy that got to run around with his friends all day, every day, knows what it's like for me to be married and have kids and be sitting in the pickup line all day long waiting for my kids and then my kids come out and they're all the things that go with that. Like, I, what would I would do to just go with my friends from city to city and preach the gospel without being told to, like, sit in the pickup line waiting for my kids to get out of school and then go home and then they're going to be frustrated with me because I haven't fed them and then I feed them something and then they get all upset because I fed them what I fed them and then they get they just can't get over it and all these things. Like, you're telling me Jesus knows what that's like? Because I didn't read that part in the gospel. But it's it's so funny. Now, we we have this understanding when we read through Scripture over and over and over again, there's this understanding, especially when you read the letters of Paul, he constantly gives this idea and this 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 understanding that actually being single is a preferred state that allows someone to be completely devoted to following Jesus in the life that God has called them to. Now, we're going to return to this because I'm not saying, please hear me, that I'm not saying if you're single, you're just called to be that forever. That is not what I'm saying. That may not be the case. But this is one of the myths, the myths of the never married. God's best is marriage, but singleness is second best. And scripture actually says, actually, if you're single, you have a really strong opportunity here. Another myth is the myth of indecision. And that that myth says living in limbo, 
in the in-between is terrible. Any decision is better than no decision. And in fact, that is a myth. And we see that over and over again. In fact, we are all called to be content in whatever season that we find ourselves in. To wait patiently on what God has in store for our future. Philippians 4.11 says, Now that I am speaking of being in, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I walk through to be content and wait on the next season. And I've talked about this before, but when you talk about seasons of life, regardless of what season you're in, if you're in a season of singleness right now, waiting for whatever that next season is going to be, it can be a really long wait. And it can feel really hard to sit in that waiting season for whatever's next. But when you think of yourself in a certain season, imagine yourself uh, as understanding that you are actually maybe an arrow. An arrow that is drawn in a, in a bow feels like I am meant to fly. I am meant to go into my next season. And so being drawn in the bow feels like a real hard tension to sit and wait in. But what the arrow doesn't know and what it doesn't pay attention to is that it is being drawn and it is being lined up by a very skilled archer for the target that's ahead of them. And when the time is right and when you are lined up perfectly for what's next, not until then, but in that moment when you are lined up perfectly for what is next, it only takes a release of the finger and you are let fly into your next season. The waiting in that tension may go for as long as it needs to. But know that in the waiting, you are being lined up. And you have a very skilled archer that is lining you up for what is best for you in the next season. But when that next season is ready, it'll happen in an instant. And that's hard to pay attention to and hard to wait on when you're in the waiting period of a long time. Another myth is the myth of need. All you need is a mate. That's all you need. Yeah, tell me about it. Hey, let's pray. We're done. Okay, so no, the, the entire <laughs> the entirety of particularly the book of Hosea, which is one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite books to read, but the entirety book of the book of Hosea reminds us that our greatest need, our greatest needs in life are fulfilled in the love and the intimacy that is found in the heart of God. It is a beautiful reminder that God, from God for every one of us, he tells us, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In steadfast love and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. All of our needs are wrapped up in the greatest and the closest intimacy that we can have with the heart of God. Not in a mate. Another myth is the myth of incompletion. You are incomplete. You are unfulfilled if you find yourself in a season of singleness. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, remind us that for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have, him, you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and of all authority. Another myth is the myth of immaturity. God uses family to build character. You will never be fully mature if you are not married and have a family. Now this, again, 
remind you, this is, may not be an overt statement that someone would say or make, but it certainly is the way we make other people feel. Philippians reminds us that God, not a full family, God who began a great work in you, will see it to its completion. God who begins his work in your life and in your work and in your heart and in your life, he will see it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I think we ought to pause for a second before we continue to highlight something. And, I, and, and may I just speak to the whole church. Don't overlook the difficulties. Don't overlook the emotional difficulties and the emotional health of those in your community who find themselves in a single space. There are a number of difficulties that they are navigating every day that you may not have been shared with yet. And after speaking with some of my single friends coming into this, like preparing for this week, I want to just reveal some of those things, but I only do so. I only share these things that I know that they have shared with me, and I take that with honor. The things that they have walked through, the things that they grapple with, I only share those with you so that you can be a more loving community. Valuable and vulnerable awareness so that you can actually love well and love well those who are single in your community. Does that make sense? Okay. Because any given day, but not every day, those who are single grapple with these things, and it's important for the rest of us to know what those things are so that we can love well. On any given day, but not every day, those who are single wrestle with questions of identity. Who am I then? Do I fit anywhere? What is my greater purpose if not that? What is my life direction? And church, on any given day, but not every day, people in your, who are single in your community wrestle with these things. And so church, I, my challenge to you for all of these things, if you hear that and if you know that now, I want you to speak life over people in your life and people in your community and in this church. So speak life over those people who wrestle with the questions of identity Speak Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 over others. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. For God prepared beforehand that he should walk in them. On any given day, but not every day, those who are single wrestle with questions of loneliness. Am I just going to be without companionship? I want to share my life with another person but it's not happening. In church, when you know that someone grapples with questions of loneliness, you better speak life over these people. Speak Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. God has said he will never leave you. We just talked about it. God will never leave you, and he will never forsake you, and neither will I. On any given day, but not every day, those who are single wrestle with the questions of fear. Am I missing out? How long will I actually be here in this season? I don't want to be hurt again if I do leave this season. And church, when you hear and you know that people around you 
are grappling with the questions of fear, you better speak life over those people. Speak Isaiah 41, chapter 10, over their brothers and sisters. Fear not, for God is with you. God will help you and strengthen you. God will help you, and so will I. On any given day, but not every day, those who are single wrestle with questions of self-worth. I don't feel valuable. I must not be worth enough, or I'm not worthy of. And church, you better speak life over these people. Speak life of Isaiah 43, verse 4, over your brothers and sisters, because you are precious and you are valuable in God's sight. You are honored, you are loved by God and by me. You better speak life. Church, don't overlook your single brothers and sisters when they wrestle, when they grapple. Speak life. Be present. And if I may speak to those who are single by a raise of hands, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, I want to. I want to. Um, I want to tread carefully. I want to speak to your heart, to the root places, because single friends that I have sat with over many, many years, for whatever category of singleness they find themselves in, uh, are they find themselves in a discontentment for a number of different reasons. But there's usually two main categories of that discontentment. That discontentment comes from external pressure or it comes from rooted beliefs that you've actually come to believe about who you are at an internal place. Those external pressures are are just what they are. They might be parental pressure, that you would hurry up and get married. Why aren't you yet? It could be pressure from friends and peers. It could be a professional pressure that you know I could get further along in my profession if I were married. It may even just be your own personal pressure that you put on yourself. And each of those external pressures can be addressed another time. But, but may I for at least one moment speak briefly to a couple of the deeper places. Because the discontentment that you navigate in singleness is generally attached to a need that we all have somewhere. But then there's this false belief that we've attached to that need. For example, we all have a need for unconditional love. But perhaps you have a false belief in your own heart of hearts at the core, at the honest place that says, I need to be married to feel whole. I need to be married to feel secure. I need to be married to be completely loved. And the only way to address a false belief that we've come to believe inside of ourselves is to replace it with truth. You can't cover it up enough. There is no amount of cover-up that, re- that gets rid of a false belief. You can only replace it with truth. And the truth is, there is no human being who will love you perfectly. There is no human being who will love you completely or wholly. There is no human being out there waiting for you who can love you perfectly and completely. 
God says to you right now what I think he said to Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. There is no human being who will need you or will love you completely. And those who have been married for a number of years in this room can speak to the truth of that when you're honest. There is nobody. There is not the one out there who will love you completely, perfectly, and wholly. There is only one. And he still already does. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have continued my faithfulness to you. Another need that we all have is a need for significance. And perhaps somewhere in your deepest heart of heart, you have come to believe a lie that says, I need marriage to truly have purpose. And please hear me with your heart. Only growth in God's purpose for you develops character. Only growth closer to God's purpose for you as laid out in Scripture and as laid out in his, in his intimacy and connection to you, only that purpose will develop your significance and develop character in life. God is determined to see you be more and more conformed to his image, to look more and more like him, to have an enormous impact on the world around you. We all have a need for security, of some kind of safety, and perhaps your heart of hearts at the core places, in the honest places, says, I need a man or woman to be secure. And I tell you right now, the only security that is fail-safe is in a nearness to God, in a nearness to his heart. It's the only place to find the truth of security and hope for the future. Now, I believe all of these things. I wouldn't have said them if I didn't. I believe all of these things that we read in Scripture as I've communicated today, but I also am not naive to the fact that I'm a married man up here talking about singleness. And I want to close by making clear that my heart's desire is that every person live out the purpose and the calling and the passions that God has placed in your life. That's, that's the goal. And individuals, that's the goal. That's the goal for this, this church. As a, as, a, as a family away from home, my goal would be that this church lives out its purpose, that lives out its passions that God has instilled in this community. And he's instilled that, those things into each individual. And he's instilled those things into this community. And he's instilled those things into our overall goal to reach the world around us. And I want to see those things happen. So to the singles in this room, I want to close with saying that it's okay to be honest and to confess and admit the difficulties. Share those. Share why it's difficult. But when you do... Please debunk within yourself all of the grass is greener myths that you might have believed. Debunk those things and lean into the truths that have been indicated in Scripture over and over and over again. The truth is that you are deeply loved, that you are accepted, and that you are never really alone, that you actually belong here. And may I speak freedom 
and confidence and purpose over you. Because God has already given all of those things to you in full. And to the married people in this church and in this community, I want to close with saying, listen, invite, and speak life. Careful with your words, married people. Even the truthful ones. Don't rush into speaking truthful things and truthful statements without first listening to the heart. In the heart, in the moment, make sure that those who are single know that you have heard them. That you see them before you speak truth. Intentionally pursue friendships with those who are single in your community. Married people, single people want to hang out with you. Most of them want to hang out with you. Have them over. Invite them into your life to be a part of what's going on with dinner, with, with, with coffee, and let them, let them chat about being single. Let them chat about dating. Let them chat about marriage if they want to. And please, this is from my single friends, uh, please, please stop trying to set them up. <laughs> Unless they've asked you to do so. And finally, may I just speak life for everybody, um, especially these days and right now. We are desperate <laughs> in need of life being spoken. In our day-to-day, with every brother and sister, with every person we walk with, um, and it has been hard in the last year and a half for me personally, honestly, to to walk in Philippians chapter two, verse three, where it tells us, where I I'm told uh, to, in humility, consider other people more important than me. That's real hard. The last year, um, and we need life. We need life spoken over us. And into our day-to-day. So speak life to those around you. Don't speak false things. Don't speak uh, bitterness over people. When the words come out of your mouth, are they life-giving? Or are they life-taking? Is it more? Imp- are the relationships more important than you being right? These things have to be the way we speak over and to the people around us in our community, especially if this is going to be our church community. We are in desperate need of life being spoken into our day-to-day by those who are our brothers and sisters. Speak life and truth of Scripture into the broken false beliefs that we are all wrestling with. Speak life because every person that you come in contact with, single or married, is wrestling with something that they may not have shared with you yet. And maybe don't plan a singleness sermon on Family Sunday. Uh, I'm going to close. I'm done. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close with a, a song of worship. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity again just to be together. 
Um, it is a gift, and I don't want to overlook or uh, take for granted the gift that it is to be together. Uh, and, God, I pray that you would restore what is broken, and there are a lot of things broken uh, in our community, in our church, but also just, God, in our own individual hearts, things that we have been wrestling with uh, most recently, uh, even over the course of the last year, but maybe even just as recently in the last couple of weeks, there are things that we, we, every given day we come in here wrestling with something that we might not share or make, make available. So God, restore the broken spots. And if you could speak those things and let those things be revealed with those who are my brothers and sisters, the things that they're wrestling with, God, give, give each of us the, the awareness, the recognition of the broken false beliefs that people around us that we love are wrestling with so that we can speak life. Give us words of life to speak over those who we care about. Whether they're in a single space or a married space, let us speak life over one another. We are in need of it at a desperation level that I've not seen in my life like it. So give us life. Let us speak your words and your truth over one another. And we will praise you. We will give you glory. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand up together as we sing? Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. The altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Sing, oh, come. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior. 
Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week.